This week's episode is brought to you by Breathe, starring Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy. Critics rave, Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy deliver two of the year's best performances. Andrew Garfield is brilliant, and Claire Foy is a true force of nature. Discover more at BleakerStreetGills.com. Welcome to the Bart Fleming Podcast. This is Peter Bart. And this is Mike Fleming. So, Mike, the, the media is steeped in reports every day about new sexual harassment scandals. And, and lately, there have been announcements of initiatives from professional organizations like the Motion Picture Academy and the Producers Guild. They're going to come forth with codes of conduct. But what worries me is simply this. Are they going to do any good? I mean, don't we all know what the code of conduct is? Namely, behave yourself. Be a grown-up, for God's sake. See, the two sectors of people that I have not really heard much from lately are these. Number one, the corporate CEOs whose job it is to support the HR departments and the rules of the road. I haven't heard that much from the CEOs, nor have I heard that much from the agents and the managers, the people who are supposed to provide some mature leadership for actors and actresses who are supposed to say, look, that's disgusting what that person is asking of you. Don't do it. Report it. Well, I would say based on the growing um, toxic um, stories that are that are emerging, I would say apparently it isn't clear to everyone how you're supposed to behave around other people, uh, and especially how men are supposed to behave around women. Now, the, now the, I don't think that this, I, I would like to believe that the people who've been ensnared so far uh, in this trial by media um, are the minority. But I, I wasn't, wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know that this was going on, to be quite honest. So I don't know how prevalent it was, but we're going to find out, it seems. Well, you know, having lived in several corporate environments, um, I, I have witnessed firsthand the fact that, that the CEOs of, of, of organizations often are, are some of the, 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 the worst predators. Um, it's been my, in, in my experience that rather than setting the tone, the guy in the head, in the head office is actually being uh, easily as naughty as, as, as the employees. And I think that one of the, the things that is not talked about is, you know, it, this, should, this responsibility should be put in the hands of the boss. They're the ones who have to set the standard. And in my experience, they are not doing so. This is particularly true in the entertainment business. Well, when you say naughty behavior, I'm you know, I mean, what I'm reading, um, and the idea of women, basically, uh, ambitious women being put in a position where if they want a chance at realizing their ambitions, they have to degrade themselves. I wouldn't consider that to be naughty. I consider it to be absolutely repulsive and criminal behavior. And, um, and the idea that, uh, that in the case of Harvey Weinstein, this allegedly went on for such a long time, and this wasn't brought out um, 
decades ago to me is just absolutely horrifying. So I think there is a right now there is a an extreme course correction going on right now, and uh, and a lot of the detritus is going to be uh, flushed down the bowl. And and so I think at the end of the day, this is all going to be this is all going to be very good for the industry. Well, I was obviously using the word naughty in a facetious way because uh, the, the, the sort of behavior is outrageous, not naughty. But the people, it seems to me, who are now having sort of closed-door meetings, and it's interesting, I'd love to, to listen in on what they're saying, are, are agents and managers, because in years past, when, when, uh, when talent has, has been hit on in this way, uh, they surely have reported to them. The, man, the manager is someone who's supposed to preside over their career, and, and agents are supposed to do more than simply make the deals. But you wonder, what goes on in, behind the, the doors of these big agencies when they know what's going on, and what position have they taken? Have many of them simply said to their, to their clients, look, the time has come, this is criminal activity, the time has come to report it to the to, to both the cops and and to whoever else is supposedly responsible. I mean, what have you what have you gleaned about this issue? Well, I, I think you're you're not looking at the uh, at the, the the financial interests that drive a lot of the decisions. It's easier to say nothing, um, you know, than take on a powerful person. Um, it took some courageous journalists to bring down Harvey Weinstein. Um, and, and who knows what's, who knows how much sexual harassment exists in the corporate culture of these agencies, because these transgressions that we're reading about go back 20 or sometimes 30 years. And there is no statute of limitation on this stuff. None of it's being prosecuted criminally, but, um, in the case of Kevin Spacey, all it took was one actor who's lived with this for a long time to come forward, and uh, House of Cards was canceled. Now, they say it was canceled for other reasons, but, uh, you know, but, but Kevin Spacey's reputation um, has been indelibly tarnished. Well, I, I, I know what you're saying, but to return to the idea of a code of conduct, do you think, for example the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is really going to help the situation by coming forth and telling members what they already know? Or do you think that the Academy could put itself in a position of investigating the behavior of mem members? Uh, and are, are they equipped to do that? Are they equipped to provide criteria? Or for God's sake, don't everybody, doesn't everybody who's a member of the Academy and a long experience in the industry, doesn't everybody know the damn code of contact? Someone ought to. Someone ought to uh, step forward and create some sort of a mechanism where, um, where people who've, who've been abused can, um, can, can basically express what's happened to them. Um, you know, because look, you, you know, it isn't, uh, it isn't a birthright that you have a right to be in this business. Um, you know, you should you should conduct yourself decently, and if you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing this. Right, you shouldn't be part of this industry, and it's up to this industry, which probably looks as bad right now as at any time in its history, um, to maybe step up and 
and figure out a way to stop this stuff from happening. Well, I agree with you with one footnote, and that is that, you know, the, the news that's breaking uh, from government, state government, local government, um, but from pol our political life, I mean, it seems to me that this syndrome is pervasive, and I'm not totally convinced that it's any more pervasive within the entertainment business than it is in politics or government. I'm sure this is prevalent in many, many industries, and in, in, any, in many industries where, where people make a lot of money and have a lot of power. I mean, look at Fox News. I, I mean, uh, you know, with Roger Ailes and just the idea that, uh, you know, that you can have a situation where um, Bill O'Reilly is complaining about, about being the, the victim after he supposedly paid a $32 million, $32 million settlement for sexual harassment, to me, it's just like the, I mean, what is going on? It's like we're in, a, in the middle of a Twilight Zone episode here. I get what you're saying, Mike. So we'll be right back after this. This week's episode is brought to you by the movie Breathe for your consideration in all categories, including Best Actor for Andrew Garfield. The New York Observer declares Andrew Garfield is remarkable and can't be praised enough. See for yourself why critics are raving about Breathe and discover more at BleakerStreetGills.com. Mark Canton was head of production first at Warner Brothers and then Columbia and is responsible for such hits as Men in Black, Caddyshack, and the Lethal Weapon movies. So no one knows the inner workings of Hollywood better than Mark, and hence we asked Mark to recall some of the high points of his working life at the studio. One of the um, best experiences, and of course um, it, it took some time, but uh, was the, the development and making of Tim Burton's Batman. I had joined Warner Brothers in 1980, and literally the first, amongst the first two movies that I was able to develop in my position were um, the movies that became the Vacation series, uh, which of course have stood the test of time, and then uh, Batman. And um, over the course of time, I worked with um, the really distinguished producing team at that time of Peter Goober and John Peters, the initial thinking in the studio from my bosses, uh, Messrs. Daly and Semmel, was that perhaps we should go more back to the success that they had had before I got to the studio with Superman in the Chris Reeve days. And I, being a the young, fair-haired kid at the studio really had a passion for um, what were then called comic books and then eventually became, in today's vernacular, graphic novels. And I um, was very, very uh, determined to have everyone come around to the way of my thinking because I thought the marketplace was such that we should do a more realistic and darker version of Batman than, let's say, Dick Donner, the great director, had done with Superman. And we finally came to um, 
uh, an agreement that we were going to hire this extraordinary, I believe 27 years old at the time, young filmmaker named Tim Burton, not go the other way. There had been talk about Ivan Reitman, who had done Animal House and some other, and Ghostbusters, some other filmmakers who were more fanciful in terms of the comedy, let's say. And we were going to go more with Tim's vision. And then at a moment, my colleague Lucy Fisher, myself, decided we would go up to Jack Nicholson's house which, of course, was Jack at his, um, uh, you know, really in the greatest moment of his career. So just going up to Jack Nicholson's house in those days, as there was no cell phones or anything, you went and you made your case. And we did. And Jack came aboard. Goober once told me that you and he realized the only way to sell this movie to the top management was to go and convince the merchandising guys first. This is going to be the biggest success in the history right. of merchandising. So yeah, you, it was you, true, and this is why Jack Nicholson made a fortune on the merchandise. Yeah, okay. that's he right. was smart, and he actually made the first type of deal where he was getting revenues from the um, from the toys and stuff. So it was such a big win-win. It was great. It was very special. And then, of course, we did something equally daring because we went and got Michael Keaton. The extraordinary actor, who I now think a whole new generation of, of moviegoers have seen how extraordinary his range is. But at the time, Michael was a very unusual choice because everyone thought Batman coming off of the likes of Superman and other things should be big, you know, larger than life. Um, technology was not at all what it is today. Just, it's just 30 years ago, it's hard to believe. But we decided we wanted performance before anything else. We knew Tim was a visualist from Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. So we knew that Tim was an originator and an artist. So we really focused more on how can we get great actors and have the audience um, uh, really connect with the actors. And so we went the more narrative way. And I always will remember, Peter, and that when we chose Michael Keaton, the Wall Street Journal, no less than the Wall Street Journal, on the front page had an article about how could the studio choose Michael Keaton. Well, the rest became history. And now back to my conversation with Mike Fleming. This is the time of year, Mike, when when all the, the self-styled Oscar gurus start giving us their favorite candidates for award season. And uh, I'm getting worried about some of their predictions because there are not that many out there. I mean, I've seen some interesting pictures, uh, small pictures lately, like The Florida Project, like Breathe, Wonderstruck, and, and even the, the Disaster Artist, which I enjoyed a great deal. But I also am aware of the fact that a number of, of what I thought were promising movies, like George Clooney's Suburbicon and Mothered, where this, these pictures are coming out and simply disappearing before our eyes. And I'm beginning to wonder, uh, is this going to be another disappointing year? And further, is there any future for what you and I used to call the adult drama? I think there, there is. Or, you know, these... These movies are always um, when when to to make one of these movies succeed, the you're you're trying to hit a um, a narrower and more quickly moving target every year it seems, 
But last year we saw some of these films break through. Um, <clears throat> and I think this year we will as well. I mean, I know you, you mentioned some of the ones that didn't quite hit it, but, um, you know, but I, I do think the Florida project has a, uh, has a good chance to play for a good long time. I think that, um, I, I think that the shape of water, the Guillermo del Toro film, um, could be, uh, from what I understand could be, could be one of those pictures, um, three billboards outside of, outside Edding, Edding, Missouri, Missouri, um, you know, could, could certainly distinguish itself. And, uh, and there are others, you know, uh, Roman J. Israel, the Denzel Washington, uh, movie that Dan, uh, Gilroy directed is another one as well. And the one that I loved at, uh, Toronto, which, you know, which, which could make, uh, its mark is, uh, I, Tanya, which is the movie about Tanya Harding that, uh, that stars Mar- Margot Robbie as the um, as the ice skater, and uh, Allison Janney plays her mother, who sort of forged her uh, her 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 will with a you know with a basically physical abuse. Um, uh, I mean, you know, that's a terrific black comedy in the you know kind of in the vein of the Coen Brothers uh, Fargo and uh, and Gus Van Zandt's To Die For. So these movies need love. They're going to need some nominations probably, but I think we'll end up just fine this year. Well, I know last year at, at this point, it, it was a little discouraging. And then if, if you look back on last year, however, um, there are pictures like, like Sully uh, uh, and, and Hidden Figures broke out and, and actually surpassed $200 million in world gross, which is really extraordinary for a serious adult picture. I mean, this year, in other words, the, the the pictures that have been most promising certainly. I mean, Dunkirk is a big art movie, and it's it's already passed five hundred million dollars. And of course, the big surprise and there's an Oscar campaign just starting for Get Out, which came out in February. So you know, normally that's a disadvantaged situation for a, in the award season, but Get Out has already passed. 250 million worldwide, which is extraordinary for a genre picture with a, a black protagonist. You love that picture too, didn't you, Mike? I do think that Get Out um, has an opportunity to distinguish itself uh, in the, during award season because it was just so different. And, uh, you know, so there were several of these movies. So I would say already we've seen uh, success in adult films. And um, even though Get Out could be uh, taken as a genre film, I think it's actually uh, a lot more than that. Um, so I don't, think it's, I don't think it's such a bad year, to be honest with you. Well, box office so far is down about 13%, and that's not encouraging. Um, and the other thing that's a little daunting is the fact that so many of the, of the new pictures that are ambitious artistically have to go through such a, 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 a series of trials, like the Rotten Tomato trial, where all of a sudden you're rated by this arcane group of critics. Uh, so, many, so many interesting movies, and Outside Breathe as an example, uh, are, are given um, not outstanding ratings by, by the, the, the core of critics uh, nationwide and have to overcome those obstacles. And the same is true, you remember Mark Foster's picture that just opened called All I See Is You. I mean, all I see is you, alas, no one is seeing you or it. 
there, there's some there's some real unfortunate some 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 problem areas in the way pictures are being released. Yeah, but you're 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 you know you're taking certain titles and they certain films even certain deserving films feel year after year. But um, and in terms of Rotten Tomatoes, look, you, you, chances are if you've made a good movie. Um, and uh, and call me by your name is one that we didn't bring up, but which could also factor seriously in in the award season's race. If you make a good movie, chances are, and Wind River is another one. Now, Wind River is uh, is I thought was a terrific movie, um, a thriller wrapped in a uh, uh, in a in a bit of a polemic. Um, I, I thought it was that. Uh, I thought it was just sensational. So, if you make a good movie, people will likely come see it. And the critics will respond, and so all that, all that uh, uh, fixation on Rotten Tomatoes. I understand it. it. It must be very vexing for film companies and for directors and even reviewers to be boiled down to an aggregate score. But it's just the the way of the world, and the way around all this stuff is to make better movies. Well, the, the of course the pictures that avoid that syndrome are the um, the the superhero pictures. I mean, those pictures don't have to worry about the the reviews, uh, and and uh, and in that category, they're always the weird hits. Mike, I still will never understand why the Secret Lives of Pets grossed almost nine hundred million dollars worldwide last year. So you and I both have pets, but I don't want to know about their secret lives. Well, but look, you know, but here's the thing, though, Peter. They would take that example. Um, you know, the, the, the family film marketplace is an evergreen. It's a, it's, it certainly is a place that I would put my money if I was, uh, if I was, uh, uh, in that game trying to program, uh, trying to program films and, and, um, you know, we love pets and we love animated movies and we have to take our kids to something. And when they're clever and they appeal to us adults on a level that the kids don't even get. The reward is uh, outsized grosses. Okay, let's revisit this next week again. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bart and Fleming podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe for this and all other Deadline podcasts in the podcast app, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Mm-hmm.